1: To the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number two hundred and fifty-seven. My name is Brando. We have a legend on the show today: founding member, original member of Blue Oyster Cult, drummer Albert Bouchard. He has a new album out, Reimaginos. There's a new vinyl release. He's going to be doing a live stream Saturday, April tenth. But what I would love to discuss with him, and I'm going to discuss with him on this podcast, because obviously we Guns N' Roses fans know. All about the complexity that is Chinese democracy, but when you hear about the complexity that was the Imaginos record, the original Imaginos record that came out in nineteen eighty-eight with from Blue Oyster Cult, you can almost use air quotes around Blue Oyster Cult the same way people like to do that by calling Chinese democracy a Guns N' Roses record. Very complicated records that should have been more. So let's let's hear the story from Albert and. Let's see what you think. So, hey, Albert, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Oh, no problem. So, for those, because yeah. I've done, obviously, research for the interview, but I, I know I, I don't even know half of what the Imaginos record intended to be. Oh. You know, and what, oh. It, and what it became with the Reimaginos and the success. So, for those, if you can kind of tell the story about that record, you know, what it, it became to be in, in, in the Blue Oyster Cult uh, lore.
0: Yeah, well, this this is a long story, but I'll try and, like, <laughs> exactly. uh, get to the salient points, uh, you know, uh, in a timely fashion. So, the first thing that I heard, I had I had moved to Long Island from uh, upstate New York, and uh, I was, I met this guy, Sandy promer and uh, my friend had told me, you know, Buck Darma, Buck Don Roser, had said, uh, this guy is, uh, you know, he's a music critic for Crawdaddy, and he uh, he uh, is he can help us get, you know, get uh, some attention, you know, get some gigs, basically, you know, because that's what we're, we're that's what our, what our plan was. we're gonna play in New York and we're gonna get some gigs. Sure. So and that, and he did in fact do that, but this is before he uh, uh, got us some gigs. He he came to the band house we were working on songs. Uh, Alan, and me and myself were, were writing some tunes for the band and we did a lot of covers in the early days too, but, you know, we're, we, Alan and I were trying to write some original stuff and we said, hey, I got some, some lyrics, you know, you guys want some lyrics and he said, sure. So, we, w- we wrote this song called Buddha's Knee and Sandy was there and uh, after we, you know, finished practicing and we, you know, we had dinner and whatnot and he's sitting around and, and he says, uh, he starts telling the story about this Imaginos character that was, uh, you know, it was a shape shifter and a species shifter and, uh, and, you know, he had powers beyond ordinary people and, uh, that, he he makes a discovery that influences the the whole the history of the world, you know, and cool. but it takes place in the 19th century. Okay, so we're like, oh, well, that's cool, and then uh, about a year later, you know, we by then we'd gotten a record deal and we had lots of songs and stuff, and we came in with another lyric, and it was called Blue Oyster Cult. We're like, well, this is an odd song. This is like nothing we've ever heard. Or, you know, no, you know, there's no Grateful Dead song or song on the top 40 or anything. that's like this Blue Oyster Cult song. This is kind of interesting and weird, but uh, it was also, there was like six stanzas. It was like a long, long compared to the other songs that we we're playing. So we were like, okay, well, we're not going to do that song. And then, uh, you know, fast forward a couple more years, we're playing for, uh, we're auditioning for Clive Davis and, uh, and you know, we get, you know, he says, yes, let's do it. You know, you guys are great. Let's, let's, uh, let's drop a contract and make this happen. So they go down, they drop the contract, you know, they look at the lawyers, Sandy, uh, Sandy, uh, takes a look at it and says uh, this is good, you know, uh, but we need a band name. Hmm. And now we had been arguing for months about, you know, a new band name because at that point we were called the Stock Forest Group and we had played a bunch of uh, gigs in all the local dives, you know, on Long Island and Pennsylvania and upstate New York and stuff. And we were, you know, we were working, but... We were not. We didn't even play our own songs most of the time. We played mostly covers. So he thought we should change our name. We agreed, and uh, and so we. But we couldn't agree among ourselves. So we said, Sandy, you you decide. And so he said, uh, okay. We're going to call yourselves Blue Oyster Cult. We're like, no, no, that's (laughs) terrible. And he's like, no, no, you said, you know, well, what do you got? What do you got? You got anything better? You know, just tell me. And we're like, no, we don't. Okay, we'll be Blue Oyster Cult. What the heck? You know, it's like our fourth name. I think we kept changing our name. So we took that and, uh, you know, and knowing that this was part of this Imaginos thing. So... By the time we did uh, astronomy uh, on uh, um, uh, Secret Treaties, uh, he, he said, uh, we, uh, I remember Alan Lanier saying, uh, well, who is this Nova character? And, uh, and Sandy Perlman said, well, that's Imaginos. And Alan said, well, isn't Imaginos a, a boy? You know, And Desdenova is a girl's name. And Sandy said, No, 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 Imaginos is a girl too. (laughs) So, okay, well, he's transgender and trans species. (laughs) So, uh, at that, you know, so we recorded that song we knew was an Imaginos song, and we recorded it. And then, a few years later when we were doing uh, agents of fortune i wrote uh, the song imaginos and which was supposed to be a theme song of the of the, of the this uh, you know well we didn't really i think right around then sandy and i were saying we should he said we should do a whole album of this thing by that time tommy was out you know the who's tommy okay. and so okay the concept i had yeah, we said, let's make it like Tommy. You know, we'll have an overture or underture or whatever. And, we'll you know, it'll tell the story of this, this character, this imaginative story. But it's going to be way wilder than Tommy. You know, Tommy is like a soap opera kind of deal. You know, this is going to be like, uh, you know, uh, a superhero movie. Or yeah, something. Like sci-fi. You know? of course they didn't have it, them back. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sci-fi. Yeah, it's aliens. Funny. All that. All of that stuff, you know, all thrown in there, you know, just all the crazy things that that uh, people imagine, you know, he was going to put this in this thing. So, and, and you're getting Gary all City. of
1: this through the, the lyrics. Yeah.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. It's all
1: there. See? It's all there. So, not to, because I feel like I don't want to give it, it's like a movie. I'm listening to a movie right now, or I guess yeah. a podcast, which is essentially what that is. Yeah. Uh, I guess I, the thing I wanted to ask about yeah. with Imaginos is. To what you made it into with Reimaginos. because I want to make a comparison with okay. another album. Is okay. what like the the album is as far as the players are concerned, uh, and what because you're obviously very emotionally invested in this story that has been around for you know for you yeah. for decades, and you finally oh, yeah. got to share it. So yeah, if you could talk about the yeah. actual uh, first yeah. record and what you did with it.
0: Yeah, so so I, uh, you know, I tried to get the band to do do the record, and uh, they were like, we, you know, we didn't really believe in hits, but you know, after we had the Reaper, we saw what a hit can do for your your fortunes, and being able to headline shows instead of opening the show, and be able to play two hours instead of a half hour, and all of that other good stuff, and being able to afford to to buy a house and a car and stuff, you know. The, you know to regular people they think oh yeah that's what I'm going to do but musicians <laughs> right. you have to you have to big time to be able to afford what normal people can do usually radio but anyway, people so <laughs> yeah and so uh, so they didn't want to devote all this time to this story which you know uh, you know they were they were really uh, chasing the hit to a certain degree and, uh, and you know, and I you know being a part of the band, I wasn't going to argue with them. But uh, when they asked me to leave the band, uh, at that point, I said, you know, maybe this is a sign that, you know, because Sandy was like, oh, what are they doing? This is stupid. You know, they, they must have lost their mind. You just got to get on your knees and beg them to forgive you. And, you know, which I did, but it didn't do any good. It, it was like it was meant to be. I said, you know what? this is meant for us to do this record, you and me. So Sandy and I, uh, Sandy got a record, a solo record deal for me, and we started recording it. And I had all these, my friends, you know, I, well, I remember the first person I asked to play on it ended up not playing on it, and that was Alex Lifeson. Okay. You know, because we used to jam all the time, you know, when we were on the road with Rush, especially if we had a day off, we'd go, we'd go to Holly, their road manager's uh, room and we'd uh, bring some little amps and stuff and jam, you know, for hours, you know, in the afternoon. So, so I knew Alex very well and he said he would do it. But then when it came to do the record, he was busy with Rush. So, uh, but I also asked Robbie Krieger and he said he would do it. So that was part of the appeal for Columbia Records to give me the solo deal because I was going to have, you know, some heavy hitters on there. Right. And, and ultimately I did. I, I got Aldo Nova and Joe Satriani and uh, some local, you know, Phil Grandy from New York who's a uh, total monster guitar player that nobody ever heard of basically but uh, and uh you know a great guitar player from san francisco mark Biederman. so we got a whole bunch of people to play you know plus you know uh, tommy Morangello from uh hunter ronson band and also from that band was uh, tommy mandel and uh, Tom, Tom Zvonchek and Tommy Price, who was playing with, uh, uh, he was, uh, you know, you noticed that my band was all named Tom, right? Just about. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my middle name, too. So uh,
1: Something's in with Tom. the name.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it was a name. So it was the band of Toms, <laughs> plus, uh, plus uh, uh, Kenny Allenson was the only non-Tom. <laughs> and Jack Rigg. And Jack Rig, who played with Helen Wheels and, and my friend for many and David Roeder and friend friend for many years. And uh and so I had all these guys playing on it and we did the record, but it took forever. It really took a long time. Of course some of that was not I mean, most of it was not my fault. I could have just gone in and stayed in the studio for six months and come out with a record. But Sammy Perlman had other kind, he had, you know, he still was managing VOC, he had uh, business with Black Sabbath and the Black and Blue movie and all this other stuff that he had to deal with. So he couldn't be there, so we couldn't record consistently. So it took over three years before we had any mixes at all. And uh, by the time we had something to show the people at Columbia, Everybody that had signed the band, the, or the, the two guys basically that, that signed it, uh, had moved on to another company. So the people that were there were uh, not the people that signed me. So I hear that story they, too often. Oh, that's a heartbreaker. They they were like, uh, "This is we can't really we can't sell this record. Where's a the single? There's no single." And we're like, "Well, that's you know beside the point. You know, I mean, yeah, if you said." Uh, we'll sign you because you have to have a single, it would have been in the contract. You know, it would have been it would have been implicit. It, it, I mean, it would have been explicit, you know, that, that, that you expected that. And we could have done that. But now we've spent three years making an album that doesn't have a single because we didn't think we needed one, you know. And uh, they're like, well, you, you know, You know Why don't you hire Desmond Child To write a song for you And we're like "Uh, Because That will not fit In what we have constructed You know It would have to be The exact right thing And you know I was talking to Sandy And he's like You know F them You know Mm. (laughs) He was mad He was like You know Understandable We're not going to make a single Just because they want a single That's not what it's about
1: It's it's a concept record
0: You know Right Exactly Exactly I mean You know The Who did have Pinball Wizard, but, you know, I think that that was really, it fit. you know, the, 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 that came towards the end, and, and, you know, how did it really uh, 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 fit into the story, you know, they they had to find a way to fit it in. Sure. So, but, and we didn't do that, so, and it would have had to, you know, it would have been something that we couldn't do at the time. So they said, but we will, if you decide to release it as a Blue coat record, we'll promote it. Uh, so Sandy had to t- convince me to do it. And I was like, well, if it's okay if, you know, if that means I'm going to be back in the band, you know, we can go and promote it, you know. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, sure, of course. You know, that's what I want in the first place, you know. And you know, I mean we just did it that way because we thought that's the way we had to do it, you know. So but if Bluissa wants to do it, that's fine. So and then he talked them into it and and of course as it turned out, after they finished, they were like, Nah, nah, you're not gonna be in a band. No. <sighs> now we we're happy with the drummer we got and I'm like, I don't have to play drums. Just let me sing and play guitar. You know that, you know. And they're like, ah, uh, nah. You know, it's it's complicated enough as it is. And and hmm. to their credit, I mean, I had gone back with them in 1985. You know, while, while I was still working on the record, you know, because they needed a drummer, and that didn't work out so well. I think that there was a uh, there was too much baggage that we were carrying around at that point in time. You know, wow. I I had done this record you know, to get even with them, you know, to get revenge, you know, success is the best revenge, right? Yeah. And so I tried to make it like a Blue Oyster Cult record, except better. <laughs> 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 you know, but, uh, you know, so anyway, it came out, they were disappointed in the reaction, I was disappointed in and the situation, Sandy was po- disappointed in the record company, and the fact that they made him take songs off because it, they refused to put out it out as a double record, huh. you know, because uh, there was too many songs to fit, or too, the songs were too long to fit on a, a, uh, a single record. So he had to take a couple songs off. So he didn't like that, and uh, wow, we were all frustrated and. Uh, Sam, actually, after that, he started, you know, for a few years, he just kind of did other stuff. And then, well, he was producing more Blue Ircicote records without me. But um, then, uh, towards the end of that time, in the 90s, he started uh, working with, uh, I want to say Synchro Arts. It was the the company that put out uh, Guitar Hero. Okay. Activision, yeah. maybe? Uh, it might have been Activision, yeah. it was Whatever it would put out Guitar Hero, they had a Blue Oyster Cult song on. I actually had Cities on Fun, which is one of my songs, on there. So uh, they were like going it. to uh, do an Imagino's game, and that way he could incorporate all that. the songs, and he could also incorporate... The you know the, there could be like a two and Imaginers three so it could be like a three act play so so he was trying to do what he could do to to make it happen and of course it didn't ultimately didn't work out but uh, but I had given my rough mixes to a fan and said you know you can't show them to anybody because uh, the this is really the record and and it, the record belongs to Columbia, so I think what happened. Then I, you know, about oh I don't know maybe just ten years ago, two thousand eight, thirteen years ago, I started seeing these versions of the song on the internet. You know, first mm-hmm. in Bit BitTorrent sites and then on YouTube and stuff, and I was like, oh, well, I guess this person who shall be nameless. Uh, put him out there and said Albert Bouchard's demos so that you know maybe uh, Columbia wouldn't sue him (laughs) which never happened I mean they never got in any trouble you know BOC didn't even take him down it was like fine fine whatever you know so anyway they said you should release your, your version of this record and I said well I can't really do that without Sandy and without the record company and you know Sandy was you know, we were a little estranged there after after the thing was finished. You know, we were all disappointed. So, uh, you know, uh, and at some point, I would say about 2010, or 2012, something like that. It, we, I started talking to him, communicating with him, and like, well, what do we do about Imaginos? It's you know, like, I don't know. What do you want to do with it? You know, and I'm like, I don't know, do the act two and act three, you know, why not that? And he's like, well, okay, listen, I'm coming to New York. This was in 2018. I'm coming to New York. I got a a guest residency at, uh, or what do you call it? Uh, The professor is a visiting professor. So he'd been working with McGill and and, uh, and, uh, some college and, in California, so he was he had gone into pedagogy as had I, you know. I became a, a high school teacher. Oh, I know for, that uh, for 31 years, yeah, yeah, starting in '87. So, I so we both ended up as teachers, hmm. but uh, so he was coming back east to have a uh, uh, uh pr- visiting professor class, you know. He I think he was gonna have like two or three classes at Stony Brook. You know, the place where we met. So, um, and then he had the accident, and, uh, which, uh, he ended up passing away from, but, uh, sorry, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, that, yeah. And, uh, and I went to see him in the, in the hospital, and I said, damn, man, you, you gotta get better because we gotta do this record, you know, we gotta do, imagine those two, you know, and, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, he couldn't speak, he, he, he had lost the ability to speak because he was in a coma, you know, for a while. But we had a very uh, intimate and close uh, time there in, in the hospital. And then and the last thing I said is, I'm going to make it happen, okay? He said, you need to get better to help me. So then he died, and of course, when somebody dies and you make a promise... It's like you want to do it, but if, you know, uh, somebody close to you, then you, you, it, it's hard to deal with it.
1: I know what you're talking you, about. Yeah. To, to kind of get up and, you, and, and, and do it, you know, like you want yeah, to do it, but you, to get the emotion to, to dig down deep and, and just right. pull yourself off the you, couch. Yeah.
0: You want to, you want to play this thing with joy and, and, right. and, and. and Great feelings, and instead you feel sad when you hear it, so that was where I was at I couldn't even listen to the record after uh after he passed so uh so like two thousand and nineteen it's like almost four years uh three and a half years since sandy passed and so I start. i have uh I've been doing this uh, monthly. Podcast uh, since uh, since 2013, I believe. So it's quite a few years I've been doing. it. At first, I just would spin records and talk, you know. But uh, you then the later, you were ahead of the game, kind of. Yeah, yeah, I guess. You know, I was just, I was, mm-hmm. you know, w- when I was a when I was a kid, in my motivation, it was like I didn't really think that I could be good enough to be a professional musician, <laughs> but I. I was going to do something. I was going to work in a guitar store or maybe work at a, a drum factory or maybe be a DJ or, you know, uh, own a nightclub or so- something. I was going to do something in music, I anything, you know. That's And so uh, this was a, sort of uh, my fantasy of being a DJ, you know. <laughs> doing this podcast every month you know and, and it's it's exactly it was challenging
1: what I'm doing I'm living my fantasy because I have no musical talent I wanted to be close to music so that's exactly why I got the idea yeah, uh, yeah
0: exactly <laughs> of, of course it makes logical sense because there's probably no money in it that's the only thing yeah you know, <laughs> you're, you're better off being an amateur musician yeah <laughs> Probably more money in that than being a DJ, but anyway. But it, and the thing is that you know you, you you work on your speech patterns and stuff. Sure, and you don't say you know that much or <laughs> <laughs> you know ah. Uh, so it's just uh, anyway. Me, so yeah, so imagine. I started playing live and playing like bluegrassy Cult songs or or just songs. You know, I did a whole set of uh, traffic. Songs because I love traffic, okay. so I, I learned a bunch of their songs and you know not a whole album's worth, but like a you know you know what was the one uh, light up or leave me alone I, I did that one I did little spark of high heel boys okay uh, what was the other one uh, the instrumental on John Bar- Barleycorn I can't remember the name of it now and Mr. Fantasy. I did a whole bunch of them. So, But but then I started doing these Maginus things, and people really, all of a sudden, I got more people listening, and people commenting in the chat, and I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. So I started uh, doing the songs with my friend David, and people really liked it and then we brought in my uh, my friend Justin to play drums so it was a we had like a little power trio and we did a bunch of the songs and I said you know I'm going to make demos of all these songs so as you guys can remember them so you know Justin give me a beat and I'll I'll use this to make my demos and so they they helped me do the demos and uh, which eventually you know and i was like okay we're going to go in to the studio and record this well that was in february and in march of course we had the pandemic so Uh they couldn't i couldn't get together with them anymore so i had some of the stuff that um the keyboard player mookie you know who's justin's friend and justin was one of my my graduates when i was teaching so uh and Mookie was also, so they both they came and helped me, and I had Mookie's stuff on on the track, but Justin's I just plugged my I had like the a low end Roland uh, the TD17 kit, and I just plugged it straight into my uh, interface, and so it, it the drums sounded really bad. Sometimes it was a, sometimes I get a different idea. And I needed to change the tempo or something, and I I couldn't do that with what he did, so I had to do all the drums myself. But I kept thinking that I was going to get him to come back and do it. So we used his loops for all the songs, you know. And then when it was clear that I wasn't going to be able to get a drummer, I, I had contacted this Taylor Gordon, who's a a big YouTuber. She she goes by the uh the pocket queen and I love her style and I thought, Oh, this would fit beautiful on these songs and I wrote to her and she said, Yes, I'm definitely interested and then so, you know, I'm still working and I don't hear anything from her for a while. And I write back and I said, What well, I used you, you know, I sent you a track. Can you can you do it or not? You know, if you can't, let me know. And she said, I just got hired by Guitar Center to do all their you know, Hmm. demo videos and stuff. So I can't do it. I mean, it give me big money. So I'm like, well, God bless you. You know, you're making it. That's great. You know? So I, I ended up doing all the drums last, (laughs) the last thing on the record. I was doing drums while I was mixing. Interesting. Oh, I don't like that part. You know, I'm just going to redo it, you know, or I'm just going to redo that fill, that one little thing right there, you know. And of course, because I did the MIDI, I could do that because I get the same, same drums, you know. Uh, you know, basically samples of my, my re- actual kit. So, so that was, you know, that was interesting and fun. I think I might do that every every record. Although I did play on the Dictators' new record, the punk rock group. Uh, and because they're getting back together, so yeah, we're still working on that. Actually, I mean, they put out a a, a song, I guess, in February called uh, "Goddamn New York." It's a love song to New York. Nice. I've <laughs> heard. <laughs> and uh, they're they're having a new song that is coming out like three days after my vinyl release. So, which is kind of cool. It's going to be on serious, serious satellite radio. So.
1: That's what's so impressive with you. And, and, I'm, and thank you for sharing so much. I know there's so many yeah. bits and pieces you couldn't fit into that story. And you, you warned us, it was yeah. long. But <laughs> it, 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 was, it was important to just show where it started and then now, like, you never gave up on that dream of completing this. And it, yeah. it made the Billboard uh, two, Top 200 last year when it came out. And as you mentioned, the vinyl yeah. the vinyl release is coming out. So now it's just kind of like a big celebration. So can can you tell us about the event coming up, uh, what you're going to be doing, uh, Saturday, April 10th,
0: (laughs) Saturday, April 10th. I am going into a recording studio and, uh, with, uh, my bass player, David, and maybe a special guest. I'm not sure. I tried to get my brother to come in because my brother, Joe, who played in blue Oyster cult. He plays trumpet on this record, trumpet and piano. And, uh, so, uh, I was trying to get him to come in, but, uh, you know, he's quite a ways away. It would be, uh, about a four hour drive for him. So he said, I think I'm going to not, he said, you, uh, you know what? You can use my tracks. <laughs> he said, I know you're going to use your backing tracks cause you want to use your drum parts. I said, yes. Sir. He sends his love. Yes. He sends his love. So I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure exactly how what I would love to do because I do have videos of him playing his parts. So I would love to be able to, when he does his solo, his trumpet solo, that that'll flash up on the screen of him playing, you know, but I have to go. I'm going to go Friday to the studio this Friday to uh, just check it out and see what is possible and you know, what I can do and what I can't do. So I, I still don't know, but I, I do know this, that I will have a mixing engineer mixing all the sounds and, uh, and we'll be playing to some excellent backing tracks. You know, I had uh, great people play on this record and of course they're not going to be with me, uh, in, on the live stream, but I'm going to be using their, their parts, you know, RJ Ronquillo, fantastic a YouTuber, uh, guitar player, uh, did a lot of the leads so his leads will be there it's going to be great it's going to be great but all the vocals and uh, rhythm guitars will be uh, live and where are you going to stream it it's going to be mandolin.com is the uh, the streaming uh, service so they're they're setting everything up they have the, the it's a pay you have to pay but it's like ten dollars something like that and you can watch it you can restream it there's a uh, going to be a chat. You know, we're going to, you know, it's going to be a a very entertaining evening or or afternoon, I guess. Well, it depends on where you are. If you're in uh, UK, it's going to be, it'll be nine o'clock. If you're in New York, it's going to be four. And if you're in California, it's going to be one. Okay. I gotcha.
1: (laughs) See, with with all that being said, where I am, I'm in your home base, kind of. Uh, Currently, I'm in Queens. But okay. I'm from Long Island, which is uh-huh. so doing radio. Uh, from. I, I was at WBAB. I was at WRCN. Okay. So growing okay. up, you always heard about whenever Blue Oyster Cult would come on the radio – I knew them when they were soft, white, underbelly, playing at Stony Brook University. <laughs> and uh, so I've, I've heard the stories, you know, because I'm 37, so I've only heard the stories. Yep. But uh, yep. obviously, from one Long Islander to, well, you're a New Yorker, an unofficial Long Islander. you know, Yeah, well, and I've, I've, you.
0: I lived on Long Island longer than I lived upstate. Okay. And I've lived in Manhattan longer than anywhere else in the country. Okay. So. Where
1: on Long Island did you live?
0: I lived, well, first I lived in St. James. Okay. And then we moved to Dix Hills.
1: Yes, and- that's where my mom lives. That's where my mom lives now, Dix <laughs> oh, Hills. Oh, Dix Hills, very
0: nice. I know. Tiny.
1: And for those that's unfamiliar, a- it's D-I-X
0: Hills. Dix, yeah, 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 not Richard. <laughs> I know,
1: well, put it this Dicks. way, Albert, I, I grew up, well, my family's from Brooklyn, uh, Mill Basin and East Flatbush, and I moved when I was one mm-hmm. and a half. I like to say I'm a Brooklyn Jew more than a Long Island Jew, but whatever. I grew up in Baldwin. (laughs) I grew up in Baldwin. Right. So I moved, though, from Baldwin to Dix Hills in the middle of my freshman year of high school. So in high school, it's like, it sucks to move. And then I got to move to a place called Dix. It's like all right. <laughs> so, uh, so I yeah, better than you know, Hicksville. That's true. I used to take the Hicksville train station all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I I lived in Hicksville for a while, about a year. I lived in, I lived in Hicksville. I lived in well, the band house was in uh, the second band house was in Great Neck, and we had that for three and a half years. Okay, and then uh, then I moved to, uh, Glen Oaks. Okay. Lenox, Queens, and then then I where else did I uh, then I moved to Be- uh, West Babylon. Okay, that's what WBA so, And and I still and then like a few years ago, I moved in with my girlfriend in uh, Blue Point. Okay, Blue Point, Long Island. So very nice there. She's still there. So I go out there. That's where I have my car. That's Good where brewery. I have my storage place and my my little studio and. Yeah, yeah, good beer, you know, and of course, where the oysters originally came from. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> you, you you play the, well, obviously, the last couple, uh, few years, was it the, what's oh, like the Oyster Bay uh, Festival that always goes on? Um,
0: well, that's, uh, I think Blue Oyster Club did that, but oh, okay. you did the Great South Bay and Patch That's what I was thinking of,
1: the Great South Bay. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah that's what I was that, thinking
0: that of. Yeah, with Blue Coop, my, my my group with Dennis Dunaway. Yes. My brother, Joe.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, I wanted to, I want to also, before I, I guess I have a couple questions, because with the theme of this podcast, if you, if you don't know the name, Appetite for Distortion, has a Guns N' Roses theme that I always, instead of just being <laughs> a straight uh, rock podcast, but I wanted people to really understand all the blood, sweat, and tears that you put into. Imaginos and Reimaginos and all the controversy that comes out, because I don't know if you pay attention to Guns N' Roses like that, but there was an album that also took many, many years to come out called Chinese Democracy. Right. And that also had uh, controversy as far as who was on the record, who who wasn't. And it, it, yeah. just, it was uh, rumored to be also a, a trilogy and perhaps it came out with uh, with the record company not picking out the right artwork, so there was an issue there. So there was just a very interesting parallel, I thought, between uh-huh. Imaginos and Chinese democracy in that kind of way. I don't know if that's something that's ever yeah,
0: I did not know about all of that about Chinese democracy. I know that it. it was one of those records that just took forever to get done. and that's never never good, never good. That's no. my theory. No, I mean, I made reimaginos in two months. That's it. From start to be start to finish, you know, and then of course it didn't come out right away because uh uh the artwork and uh, and the mastering and uh and also my brother's Joe was putting out a solo record at the time, so okay. it would give, give Joe some time to shine before I bring this out. So Indeed. that's what happened. So,
1: Right on. And did you have any? Because uh, we always like to play six degrees instead of six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I do GNR yeah. Bacon. So I was like, "What are?" In addition to just the uh, the broad analogy I made with uh, with albums, but Axel has been quoted by has been said by being a fan of Blue Blueyster Cult, uh, especially the Agents of Fortune record. So that was a connection. He's on record by being a fan of you guys. Have you come across any? Of, whether it's Slash, have you come across any? Uh, past or current member of, of Guns N' Roses in your, your long career?
0: I cannot think of a single time. I mean, I know who they are and all that, <laughs> but I've never had the occasion to play with any of them or, or even to hang out with them. So, yeah, past or present or, you know. I don't know, maybe there is somebody who played on there that I know, you know. Maybe Satriani played on it. I don't know. Uh, we'll keep <laughs> with the
1: six degrees of g Bacon, but I guess as a musician, do you have, a I guess, specifically a drummer, do you have like a, maybe a, a particular song that you've heard that you're like, wow, listen to that drumming? Um, I, I don't know, again, I don't know how deep your your fandom uh, goes, but I'm sure you've heard yeah, you know, sure. Welcome to the Jungle in Paradise City.
0: Yeah, yeah, those are good songs. I mean, I, I always thought that uh, uh, Welcome to the Jungle... You know the middle break. It's very similar to Tattoo Vampire. Mm. It's it's, uh, uh, it's a little different key. I think it was a uh, half step down. It's an F sharp and Tattoo Vampire is in G. But uh, yeah, so when I heard that, I was like, okay, somebody has heard my records. <laughs> okay, but uh, you know that you know the dead and dead and and that thing.
1: That's interesting. Oh, you know, that's a six degrees. I'm going to use right there. The fact that you heard your song in that and I, I'm sure yeah. more wasn't just Axel was influenced. Yeah. We're influenced
0: by the yeah. guys. Yeah, and I was not, you know, wasn't like, oh, they ripped me off. I was no. like, that's, just, that's a compliment. That's a compliment. Right on. Definitely.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Well, th- yeah. this was a, a pleasure and honor. I mean, uh, have you ever had an interview where somebody hasn't asked you about the, uh, the cowbell? Does every interview, do they ask you about the... Uh... No,
0: uh, yes, I have had some that, but not that many. <laughs> okay, because there's, <laughs>
1: there's nothing to ask it's about.
0: It's very rare. I've talked about the cowbell three times today. So. I'm saying. Each time a little different. You know, it's weird.
1: Uh, ah, yeah. I mean... I'll just let people know that I I just want to acknowledge it because what is, what else is there could be, uh, to be said? You know, it's, it's a brilliant song and a brilliant sketch. So yes, exactly, exactly. Well, Albert Bouchard, thank you so much for your time and uh, just continue success. Your your passion is is definitely uh, it's contagious.
0: Thank you. Well, thank you, Brandon, and and same to you.
1: Too cool. So that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. Who will the next guest be? Well, I will tell you. If, you, if you've been following on social media, you know I've been teasing this guest. The interview is done. I, I can't wait to share it. So Miles Kennedy will be the next episode of Appetite for Distortion. That much I could tell you. But as far as what's to come, I got to say, I have a lot of guesses and a lot of reschedules, things I haven't announced yet. So go on social media, follow on Facebook, facebook.com slash the AFD show, uh, Twitter, Instagram. That's how you know and learn about the guests as they happen that's how you get involved you ask your questions and potentially co-host sound good all right so until then when will you see the next episode of appetite for distortion in the words of axel rose concerning chinese democracy you'll see it i don't know if soon is the word thanks to the lame ass security i'm
0: going home